episode of the Trauma-Informed Podcast, we have a special guest named Derek. Derek calls himself the Situational Therapist. Listen in to hear Derek's specific story that led him to developing situational therapy. How you came up with a situational therapist and the story behind that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my name is Derek Hoard. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have a private practice in Seattle, Washington. Um, I think we're kind of, we had been ground zero for some time. Well, as far as the radical mental health subreddit and situational therapy, that was an idea that I came up with based on cognitive behavioral therapy, based on many of the foundational family therapy theories, based on all of the stuff that we do. But it just shifts the focus from trying to say what's wrong with the individual to more of the focus of what's going on with that person's situation. I truly believe that everyone that comes to therapy, everybody that comes in with any problems, everybody is always asking implicitly, what's wrong with me? Why do I do this? I laugh too loud. I, I get too angry. I'm too sad. And all of these things are based upon comparisons. And so what I like to get people to do is to see that it's the situations that we're in with, with people that cause us problems and not necessarily anything intrapsychic or inside of them. So I'm not someone who works from the medical model. So when I'm on Reddit or if I'm online and I like to sometimes just help people when I can. Um, I came across the Radical Mental Health subreddit. And so I've made a few posts there. I made one post that was uh, particularly um, helpful to some people. So they made me a moderator and it's more of an honorary title. I don't own the subreddit or anything like that. I just, I've been on other subreddits as well, making posts. I just like helping people in my spare time. So I I try to pop in when I can, but that's kind of how I got involved with that. And that's where situational therapy kind of came from. And so I, I take it you're a, a gamer. Is that is that correct? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 I recently just made the shift in my practice. Well, not my practice in my um, YouTube channel. I had. I was making so much content that I thought that I had to make instead of the type of content that I wanted to make. I love video games. I think they are just as, if not more, powerful than medication in helping people solve some problems. And I'll stand behind that all day. I really do think that video games can be therapeutic tools. And so I'm going to shift my uh, I'm going to shift my YouTube channel um, to being more about just talking about video games, some of the mature themes that come up in video games, domestic violence, child abuse, drug addiction, all those things come up in video games. And if they can be a gateway to a larger conversation with people, then I'm all for it. So um, yes, fighting games are my specialty, though. I love those. I love, love, love fighting games. We have a very big community and I love being a part of it. So oh, um, cool. yes. Yeah, actually, I forget where I, when I think I first heard about this on a podcast, actually, that, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, that Tetris is, uh, actually can be helpful for, for PTSD. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, yeah, the Tetris. I mean, it's kind of in line with the Tetris effect. And I'm not sure if it's the bilateral movement of your eyes back and forth. Um, I know what it probably has a lot to do with is what I try to tell people with video games. With Tetris, you have to be focused. You have to be paying right. attention. And so it's if true. you are paying attention on that and not thinking about the constant chatter that is your mind, of course you're going to feel better. It's just basically mindfulness meditation. Unfortunately, we live in a world that has decided that there's a one way to meditate. You have to sit with your eyes closed and be very calm and just try to clear your mind. That's stupid. That's stupid. That's stupid. That's stupid. And it has no cultural context whatsoever. I enjoy sitting with my eyes open, staring at a fixed point, listening to jazz. Like it, it, right. it, you can do it. What you Sometimes I like to meditate by sitting down and playing, I don't know, Skyrim and really getting into the game and reading the books inside and not using 
getting the fast travel, just walking through the cities and taking in everything around me. So it, I don't know. I get very, very excited about these things because it, it just it just blows my mind. Just overall in life, there's so much that we just don't do or think that we can't do because we just think that we can't because the society that we live in that tells us this is the only way to do something. So I forget how we got there, but I know that That's I'm excited about talking about it. Yes, for, uh, yes. People. See how it happens? That's my brand. Absolutely. Yes. Tetris definitely can be helpful for PTSD. <laughs> I think actually I heard from it from, I don't know if you're familiar with him, Tim Ferriss. I think he was the one that, that introduced the idea in one of his podcasts. But I'm not going to uh, lie to you, Jeff. I'm not familiar with quite many people. It's been a very, very long road for me as a therapist. <laughs> There's not very many, you know. Um, but he's not a therapist. He oh, just okay. was, he's a, like, how do I describe him? He's more of like a tech marketing guy, like like the three-hour work week, three-hour oh, body okay. author. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I don't pay attention to all that. All self-help books are saying the same thing. The only... I, I, I rarely read them because how many times can you say, love yourself, take care of yourself, be nice to yourself, don't say bad things to yourself? Like, how many times can you say that? Like, I don't understand why there are so many self-help books. Love yourself. That's it. My self-help book would be one sentence. Love yourself. Love yourself the same way you take care of everyone else. So I tend not to get, and, 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 and that's to my detriment at times, but I tend not to get into those those kind of self-help well, but I, I wanted to ask you, I'm curious, so you're from Louisiana, is that right? Uh-huh. Absolutely. I want to hear a little bit of the journey from Louisiana to Seattle. That's I feel those are that's a far distance, and they're sort of I would think worlds worlds apart culturally. So what was that? Oh, yeah, no, 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 that no. Story it, a yeah, I, I've so I grew up in Louisiana. I grew up around a lot of people that most people would consider to be racist. I don't think that these people are racist at all. There are a lot of people in the South who refer to me as one of the good ones, and I that's fine with me. It's okay. I give them a hug just like anyone else, right? But there are just some things in the South that I just don't have the patience for anymore. I don't have the patience for. And rather do what most people do and blame an entire region of folks for the behavior of a few, I just decided to, I don't know, I guess blame the whole region and leave. But I just wanted something different. I wanted a different way of being in the world. I wanted a different way of relating to people. I wanted different cultures. I wanted different experiences. So um, at the time, actually, I was married. I moved um, up here with my wife. We had visited a year ago. We really, really loved it. And so we decided to save money and move. Um, my wife was white for context. And so, you know, sometimes there were some things that we would get into just being an interracial couple in the South. And that was definitely some pressure on our relationship. So we decided together that we would move to Seattle and we we, we visited, we stayed. And that's the thing. We kind of got catfished when we did visit because we visited during those beautiful summer months. We uh-huh. moved here during the summer months and I had no idea what was waiting for me in the winter. Oh my God. I got catfished so hard. Oh, goodness. So we moved here. And, you know, this is very... Okay, I'm trying to be careful with how I tell this story because there's two sides to every story and I don't want to tell this story in a way that is disrespectful to my partner. However, I have discussed this with her and I told her what I was going to do and I told her that I I asked her if it was okay for me to tell this story. So, But even still, it's still my story, so I'm going to tell it the way that I need to. That's what I tell people with trauma all the time. Tell your story the way that you need to. My office is not a place for us to decide what's right or wrong. My office is a place for you to tell me how you feel. And so say what you need to say. Right. But anyway, um, after we moved here a month later, she asked me for um, a divorce and um, I had no resources. Um, This is one of the things I kind of champion and talk about privately in my private practice. But I slip it into all my videos. There are no resources for men going through divorce. None, none. I looked none, none. 
There were none. I could not find anything. And so people wonder, well, how do people join the Proud Boys? How do people, you know, join these fringe groups, these men's right activists? Because there's no resources for them. Where else are they supposed to go? Right. So when you have you're hurting like I was in pain and you're just looking for someone, anybody to help you and you can't find that, of course, you go to something like that. So during that time, though, it was just rough. It was rough, Jeff. It was super rough. Um, I was in a brand new state. I just started a practice. Oh, this was uh, two years ago, about two years ago now. So, but I was just, it was just in a rough place, you know, and I had some support. I did the, you know, appropriate things that I need to do as far as support was concerned. But what it, what I thought about was how did I get in this situation? Right. Like you asked me how this situational therapy come. This is a story I actually needed to tell, but I couldn't tell it the way that it was before. I asked myself, like, what, what, why am I here? How did I get in this situation where I am in a brand new city um, at an Airbnb eating cold rotisserie chicken, thinking about my life? How did I get to this point? What has happened? Right. And like at that point, I had to just realize like, okay. I have been looking at things completely black and white. Yes, my partner used to say things that upset me. Yes, she nagged me about so much. Yes, blah, blah. What in it that she was saying could possibly be true, right? And in that moment, I took a look not just at, you know, her behaviors, but my behaviors as well and our behaviors in our situation together. And so I realized that, you know, it's not, it's not about like me as a person. Yes, I have flaws. Yes, there are things that I could do better. Yes, I could grow. But the situations that I grew up in, I didn't have an opportunity to learn the things I needed to learn to not be in those situations. And just for a little bit of context, uh, how far did you, were you living from like New Orleans? So that's like my oh. only reference point. Oh, in, in yeah, 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 no, it was about five hours. It was about five. So yeah, hours. yeah. So it's a different yeah. world. Yeah, yeah, it's a completely different world, completely <laughs> different one. And you have to catch me, man. Sometimes I'll go off on tangents, but that move overall. No, no, no. Um, I go on tangents too. I was just wondering. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought yeah, it was yeah. far away, but yeah, yeah, so yeah it's no, a real, it's real south. Right, right. And so South Louisiana is actually more what people would consider liberal than North Louisiana yeah, because it's sure. one of those coastal places. So I mean, I didn't get to spend much time in, in South Louisiana. I definitely was in the northern part. But again, and I mean, my school flag was a Confederate flag. Like I tell people that here in Seattle and they have a conniption fit every time. And I try to explain to them, there are some people where that flag, when they say it's about Southern pride, they legitimately mean it. They mean Southern pride, Southern pride to see you be upset about stuff, right? The fact that it upsets you. <laughs> It's funny to them, right? So it doesn't mean that it was great and comfortable. But yeah, um, there's definitely a world of parts of difference between those two places. Okay. And uh, I mean, this is a little, maybe a little bit around the topic of racism, since you know you mentioned that. So I've heard, I mean, there's, in the Pacific Northwest, there's racism as well, but it just is sort of, it's sort of manifests in a different kind of way. I, I was wondering what's your, yeah, how would you compare the experience of racism in the, the real South where you really were versus yeah. uh, in the Pacific Northwest? Racism is something that I don't feel like can be objectively defined because what's racist to me might not be racist to you. Right. So no, I, I agree. Came, but I'm saying the experience, just your observations. From, I, I can't give you my it's, it's uh, my yeah. observations are flawed because I'm a subjective creature that is subject to biases. So I'm trying to give you my overall view of it. And what no, I'm saying, I'm asking you, what are your yeah, 
including your your biases. What what are my views? I think that if somebody wants to be offended by something, they're going to be offended. I think the types of racism that happen in Seattle, it depends on your perspective. To me, it's not racist for someone to tell me that I sound articulate. It's annoying. It's frustrating. I don't like it when people make assumptions about me, but that's not racist because my standard of reference for racism is people sweeping up KKK flyers off the floor. It's people saying the N-word out in public. It's people like with their the way that they look at you when you walk into a store that lets you know that you're not really there for help. But what I'm saying is the same things happen in Seattle. The same things happen in Seattle. I've walked into stores and felt uncomfortable, but it's not their responsibility to make me feel comfortable. So what I'm saying is we're talking about a concept that only makes sense depending on the person who's using the word, right? So I don't know what you mean when you say racism. That's the biggest delusion that we are under as a species is that we can understand what each other means when we say something. So I would need you to define racism for me. Sure, and I'm not going to gonna totally. I'm not going to totally define it, but but I'll just give you my my one of the reasons. One of my reference points to this is I've only been out. To, I've never been to Seattle. I've been to Portland, Oregon, and I remember reading some things over the past couple of years. I, I went there like a couple of years ago for this conference, and I, I'd heard like that that Portland in particular has a history of of a lot of racism, even though it's seen as this sort of uh, bastion of like progressive ideas and so forth yeah. And yeah. i remember anyway when I, in my enterprise rent-a-car and the guy that was driving me to the enterprise rent-a-car places happened to be uh black and i forget where he's originally from i think maybe north carolina or i forget exactly where he's from but i remember you told me he's a veteran i just decided i'm gonna ask him about what his experience was in in portland and as far as racism and he just said that compared to i think he was from north carolina and he said like yeah compared to there that it was he would say it was like microaggressions where, where stuff where he grew up was a lot more overt and that was basically yeah, I see what you're saying. But like the thing is, again, I just look at it like when people say Seattle is racist, Portland is racist, the South is racist. The South is a geographical location. Portland and Seattle are cities. Places can't be racist. And people forget that. And then they start putting these attributes on places. And it's a it's a grave mistake to make. So when I hear you say I'm not going to define race, that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. So that's why well, I don't answer. I mean, I could define this. it. I just felt like yeah. I, I, didn't feel, I didn't, you know, I was a bit- Feel like it. Yeah, I have so many couples in my private practice with the same, they say the same things. I didn't feel like I had to define that. Yeah, that's why you're in my office. That's why you're in my office. It's a grave mistake. That's the biggest problem we have as, our, as, as, as a country. And it breaks my heart. It's my absolute, it's my ultimate platform. We have to define what we mean when we say things. Because if I answer that question the way that you just asked it and someone researches me and I answer for my own subjective thing, not giving the explanation about it, someone can sound bite that, make a clip of it, and then I sound like a terrible person, right? So I think it's super important that we take time to slow down. What do you mean when you say racist? What do you mean by these things? Help me understand. I mean, is there a- yeah, so since, since you're not going to, uh, you're going to be, you're really emphasizing the point. I, I mean, I would define it as saying uh, in terms of actions, yeah, like using using uh, derogatory slurs with, with no disregard for the for the implications behind that, like violent acts based on people, based on their uh, perceived uh, skin color or sexual orientation. I mean, that's... You know what's interesting to me? Why we don't apply that to people of color as well. It's very, very frustrating to hear um, things like, and that's one thing that I've heard in, in Seattle that frustrates me is that black people can't be racist. 
that's just right. I've heard that before that's too. Super yeah. frustrating to me. So by the definition that you are describing, then yeah, that's cool as long as we apply equally. And the only reason that I say that is because I'm black. I can say that. I can say that because I'm black. Black people will get mad at me about it. But if you were to say Jeff Friedman that I feel like black people, you know, if you were to do that, you would. It would just and that's ridiculous to me. That's a strange situation. That's we're not going to solve problems if we have one standard for one set of people and one standard for another. If if if, right. if a white man, a straight white male who says it the way that I do, like, and I know I'm up and uppity about it right now, but if there's a straight white male who makes the point that I'm making, we should listen to the point that he's making. Yes, I know that straight white men in quotations have done things, but I think we need a different term, man. I think we need a different term. So yeah, I'm going to really push the point. That's going to be my platform. I'm going to push the point. I want people to define what they mean when they say stuff, because if not, it's an assumption and we see where assumptions get us. We'd be using discord. (laughs) Oh, right. <laughs> yes, we would be. So yeah, so so if you want to maybe talk about the point you were going off before about how you avoided reading The Body Keeps a Score and maybe looking at I don't know, your relationship to what trauma is in your personal life and, and in your professional work. Well, I would say in terms of trauma, and when I mean trauma, when I say the word trauma, what I mean is someone is in a situation that is both unbearable, intolerable, and there's no way for them to escape. So there are several situations that can be traumatic if you use that definition. But when I use that word, that's what I mean by it. So my experience of trauma, I mean, I'm a black man in America. Every single day has been traumatic. Like, I mean, <laughs> like the, the stress of not being able to walk, even when people are wearing their masks during coronavirus, you know how terrified I am to go into stores with a mask on my face? Even though I know I'm in the liberal mecca of the world, I'm terrified that someone's going to point at me. Someone's going to call the cops. Someone's going to do something. So I think that, you know, again, this is why I go back to like defining what we mean when we say things. I think there are a lot of people who have been through some traumatic experiences, but because they think the definition of trauma is war veteran, they don't realize it. I think people are walking around with PTSD and don't even realize it, have no idea, have no idea the, the effects that trauma is taking on their body because they're in a relationship that they need to leave because they're at a job that they need to go away from because they're in a situation that they need to get out of. So that's how I define trauma. It's a very, very broad definition um, because I think it needs to be so that we can get to people's specific stories, not trying to solve the entire world's problems, but trying to help this person in front of us. It's useful to have perspectives like that. It's useful to have that global perspective. But at times, we need to focus on the individual. And so in terms of trauma in my practice, you don't have to call it that. You can say it's a cognitive distortion. You can say that it's ADHD, or and which I don't think ADHD is a disease. I think it's a difference in thinking. Um, but you can say that it's bipolar. You can say that it's all those things. But at the end of the day, what happens, Jeff? When people trust us three to four weeks in, what do they do? Whenever I was young, my dad used to, my mom, she would make me do this. He would make me wear that. They get to the trauma. So I think that everybody has trauma. Even if you want to say that existence is traumatic. And I know there are some people saying you are devaluing trauma. I'm not. Listen to what I'm saying. Everyone that is listening to the sound of my voice, the people that you know and love, one day they're going to die. And you're not going to know how, you're not going to know when, and you're not going to know what happens after they die. That's traumatic. Who asked to be born? None of us. And so we're brought into a world where we have to deal with that reality. And people wonder why they overeat, why they consume stuff. You're trying to avoid that thought that I just brought back to your remembrance all day. Existence is traumatizing. 
existence is traumatized. So when you ask that question, it's like, how do I even answer that? Like, you know, like it's, it's in everything, depending on how you look at it, depending on the framework that you have. If you have the framework of the medical model, it's not trauma, it's chemical imbalances. And we need to fix that, right? If you have a framework of, of, of behavioralists and evolution, I mean, the, you know, the behavioralists, you would say something about like genes and you would talk about selfishness and all that sort of stuff. It just depends on your framework. And so I try to not have any one framework, but try Trauma, the framework of trauma is one that has been very, very, you know, interesting to me, partly because of my own experiences with trauma. Right. So um, that's really kind of how I, I look at that and what I think about trauma. All right. And what is how would you say you incorporate the, the video game stuff with your your clients or do you? I do. It depends on what type of clients I have. So if I have clients that casually play video games, then I'll just create a metaphor for them using whatever video game they're playing. So if I have someone who really likes to play racing games and I need to teach them mindfulness, I will teach them, I will find the game they play, find a stage that talks about what I'm talking about and I'll prescribe it to them. Hey, I want you to drive this car in this stage or do this. Um, if I have actual gamers, the ones that, uh, that know the meta, the, know, the ones that know what frame traps are, if I have them, that's high level, probably not your demographic. But if I do, then I'm going to talk to them about like fighting game terms while weaving in the story. So in fighting games, for example, one of the things we talk about is controlling space. I play a character, her name is Cetrion, and she will throw rocks at you and she will throw just everything. She's going to throw everything at the kitchen sink. And what's interesting about her play style is that in fighting games, right, like you want to get up close so you can hit your opponent. So my entire play style is to frustrate the person that's trying to get in to hit me. And so what I have to do is control space. I have to do things to keep them from getting too close to me. What an excellent metaphor for boundaries. How do you set boundaries? How do you make and maintain your boundaries? How do you show people what your boundaries are? How do you respond once your boundaries have been violated? How do you recover from that? So there's just a man, there's just a wealth of things that I do with it. It just depends on the per depends on the situation. It does I can make a metaphor for anything. I just need to know what your situation is. I just need to know what your situation is. I've, I've helped accountants. I've had a lawyer couple where I told them to set up their house like it was a uh, <laughs> like it was a courtroom like and now I now I tell all of my couples to do that right so like there's so many different ways to use video games as metaphors it just depends on how creative you are but then again that 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 goes back to a problem in therapy there are some therapists out here the only thing they know how to do is parrot back theory they have no idea how to have a personality and get across their message through there but the theory is just supposed to guide you stop repeating textbook stuff back to your clients they don't want to hear that they want to hear you just Describe it to them in a way they want to hear your perspective on it. So I use CBT, DBT, MRI, brief therapy. Hey, doctor, right? You know, all of that stuff. I use it all, right? But I'm not going to sit there and teach you a cognitive distortion that's boring. I'm going to talk to you about, girl, you know, when you be in your damn feelings, right? Like I'm going to, we're going to have fun with this, you know? We're going to, we're going to maintain boundaries. I'm not your friend. I'll be friendly with you. We're not hanging out. We're not, we're not playing video games together. Absolutely not. No, unless I get to a place in my practice where I can talk to a lawyer and figure out how to do that. We're not doing any of that stuff. But man, I'm not going to sit there and just be, my name is Derek Ford. Glad that you're here. Let's focus on the past. Let's talk about some, I mean, no, that's not me. And I don't think many people want that. And the people that do, then that's fine too. That's okay. But we need to be able to draw a distinction between them, I think. Okay, cool.
Well, I, I, mean, I also came across that you, I don't know if you, did you uh, blog for Madden? I didn't blog for Madden in America. I may have okay. tweeted at them about something. Maybe that's what it was. article yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Madden in America is very, very interesting. They're a very, very interesting group. I, again, I tend not to try to be on any one extreme of anything, but there are times where sometimes you need to be extreme in your messaging to get a point across. But yeah, Madden in America is definitely- Yeah, no, I mean, that's one of the things that struck me about your, your video is that I'm familiar with them. They- I like their perspective. The only, the only thing I, I would say really in terms of the extreme that it's not them particularly, but some of the people that are into that can kind of get off on that kind of anti-vaccine tip, which I'm not really about, but, but I like. <laughs> yeah. Well, the anti-vaccine and the, uh, tip. Sort of, and so the, the, the big pharma conspiracy theories, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's get a little bit excessive with that, but I, yeah. I like. I understand where they're coming from, though. It makes sense. It makes so much sense. I don't understand why people think that. I I don't think that vaccines cause autism. Let me start there. I can understand how someone would come to that point of view, though. I can definitely understand how someone would come to the point of view that it's a big pharmaceutical conspiracy. You don't have to look hard. You really don't. When we start, you really don't. You don't have to look hard to see how capitalism has influenced mental health and how medication is pushed as the answer. While you know, psychiatry, you know, therapy is something you do while you're waiting for psychiatry to fix your problem. Right. Like it's that that that's not a conspiracy. Now, there are people. There are people that are hurting. There are people that are hurting. There are people who 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 are told that they're crazy, that they need to just take them to just stand in line. And so when they find a community of people that listen to them, much like anti-vaxxers, flat earthers, all of them, they find a community of people that just show them unconditional acceptance. It doesn't matter. And I try to do that in therapy with my clients. I work at it very hard. Unconditional positive regard. But that's why those communities exist. It's not about the belief. And maybe they believe it. Maybe they don't. It doesn't matter. They have people that they can sit down and be themselves with. With and not be judged. So I try to be careful how I talk about people in these communities because they are deserving of basic human decency, love, and respect too. These aren't just other people. They're your sisters, they're your brothers, they're your uncles, they're your doctors sometimes, they're your teachers, they're other therapists, right? No, so amen to that. Yeah, I agree with yeah. you. That's a good, that's a good way of, of explaining it for sure. But yeah, no, I, I saw you in relation to them, which I, I like them. And I thought you were, uh, I thought you, that video, I thought maybe you, you blogged about it for them or but nope. I do that on my own, man. I just enjoy doing it. Um, I'm, I'm, I have more free time because of COVID. So I just enjoy doing it. And I've wanted to do it more. And I've always made excuses about not having enough time. And so now that I have the time, I'm going to start reaching out because there are people that are hurt. I have a lot of like to whom it may concern messages where I get to people in very specific situations. You know, a, a husband who is in a situation where he feels like he's being abused and he wants to leave, but he can't because it's coronavirus. Or a wife who's in a situation where she feels like she wants to leave, but she can't because the kids are at home. Or someone who was planning to leave, but then coronavirus hit, but they can't because of demand, like all sorts of stuff like that. Like if you really sit down and think, you can really narrow down to very, very specific things to where someone will think that you're talking exactly to them. That's the type of messaging that I want to do. So we can find people who've been through trauma. We can find people who've been through pain. We can find people who've been through these things and reach out and market to them directly and let us be the people, the therapists that care, therapists that understand their limits, therapists with good boundaries boundaries, therapists, with all of these things. Let us be the first people that they see. So I'm upset with my therapists about this. I really am. You need to get on Google ads. You need to get out there and start marketing. That's why life coaches are coming because they know how to market. That's the difference. That's why life coaching is seen as something that's legitimate because they know how to market. The only situation I can see appropriate for a life coach is if a person is about to join a cult, then yes, please go talk to someone. But other than that, life coaches, y'all need to prove to 
me how you're not doing therapy. Problem is you can't prove a negative. So the point that I'm making is therapists, we need to get out there and advertise. What are you doing? Whenever you want to buy something on the internet, where do you go? To the internet, Google. You want to, when you want to look something up, you go to Google. Your therapist, therapist out here with business cards and all this stuff. That's not how it works. It's 2020. What are your business cards doing for you right now? My well, advertising well, is. Yeah. Derek, one of the things I noticed on your website, which I liked, and I, I thought you did a good job of really highlighting it, that, that you you emphasize that you have your videos and, and stuff. People can see how you interact and stuff. And I feel that's really, that that is sort of the marketing plan to show who you are uh, so people can get an idea who you are as a person before they meet you in real life. Absolutely. A hundred percent. As much as I can, as much as I can, um, much as I'm showing you the tool that I use in therapy and it is a different version of it. It's not the same thing that all of my friends get, but I'm showing you how, depending on whatever situation you need, I'm the type of therapist. So, I mean, you know, sometimes I'm not this excited and hype right now. I feel this way because there's so many things that I want to say. And I guess I feel like I have like a little bit of a platform. So if any therapist out there to anyone who hears that, like, I guess that's why I'm being that way about it. But I do know how to be the calm, sit there with your hands clapped. And not that that's a bad thing. There's sometimes, especially when my clients are talking about trauma, then yeah, you need that person. Sometimes me and my clients laugh through trauma. All I'm saying is don't let that be the only thing that you do. Have something else, have another thing to do, which is why I started looking into trauma more because I want to have another way to explain to my clients the things that they go through. Derek, I wanted to speak with you a little bit longer. I just have to hop on something at two o'clock, but any final thoughts you want to, you want to impart? I really appreciate you having me. The only parting thoughts I have is there's nothing wrong with you. You're doing the best you can with what you know. And when you love yourself, you'll do better. That That's really it. That's really it. That's really All right. It. Thanks a lot, Derek. I appreciate you. And Take care. Uh, have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye.